Let us pray. Calm us now, O Lord, into the quietness that heals and listens. Speak to us in clear tones so that we may feel your spirit leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. So when I was developing the title and theme of today's message, it was actually a couple months ago as we prepared for Lent. And little did I know that the week prior to delivering this message, we would wake up one morning, like this morning, and discover that our worlds have changed. Everyday life that we knew even just a week ago, on this last Sunday, is utterly different. I didn't know, for example, that when I woke up this morning, that I would find that I, like many of us, might be wondering what a right mind might be this morning and this coming week and these coming months. It was still sinking in only four days ago what was coming to face us when our leadership here decided that for the next three weeks it would probably be best and safest, especially for those who are elder and have health issues among us, that we not meet in person. That was just four days ago. And then on Friday, just two days ago, I went and picked up my son from his last day of school for four weeks. But still, it hadn't quite sunk in. I was still thinking that life was still kind of normal. So without thinking on my way home, I dropped by Trader Joe's, as I normally do to pick up Finn's favorite fruit and this and that. Loaf of bread, and I entered the store on Friday afternoon, and the bread was gone. The berries were gone. And that's when it truly hit me that life is not the same as it was. And then I have learned through reading newsletter, newspaper articles that this is likely what life will be for the coming year. Not quite maybe as dramatic. At some point, we will be able to begin gathering again, at least in small groups. But we don't really know what the future holds at this point or how things will unfold from here. And so it finally struck me that on some level, I and perhaps all of us had fallen down Alice's rabbit hole into Wonderland, where things and the logic of life are utterly different than what we are used to. Now, anxiety has been in the air for weeks, especially here in Santa Clara, where we have the highest number of confirmed coronavirus cases in any county in California. It wasn't really until the middle of last week, however, that I personally saw that anxiety start to edge into panic. When suddenly schools closed, churches closed, gatherings got shut down, and then to witness our economic situation start also to begin to crumble around the edges of certainty or familiarity that we knew. And all across America, all across the globe, we saw our everyday lives just 
end. Life goes on, but today and in this moment, we truly are not the same people that we were just a week ago. So what, I wonder, does right mind mean? It doesn't quite mean perhaps the same things that it might have meant even a month ago. So as I pondered on this scripture passage that Ed so beautifully brought to life, especially over this last week, I started to wonder what right mind looked for the character, the main character of the story. I can well imagine, for instance, that 2,000 years ago, a, suffering, a person suffering from mental illness might find refuge in the set-apartness of a cemetery. But perhaps my imagining is a projection of the peace that I experience when I sit under trees in the quiet of a graveyard. For cemeteries have always been a place of refuge for me when I have felt sad or anxious afraid or depressed. But I, me, when I read the story, I really want to give the character called the demoniac of, in the story, I want to give him a name. So instead of calling him the demoniac as he might have been called 2,000 years ago, or the schizophrenic as he might find himself labeled by some today, or any other labels associated with mental illness, so I'm just going to give him, I'm going to give him the name Anton, after Anton Boysen, who was the uh, sort of the founder, the, the father of a spiritual chaplaincy in our medical world. And so I'm going to call him Anton, Anton and I wonder, before Anton ever set eyes on Jesus, could he recall the last time he felt settled in his spirit or in his right mind? Would he, in a cemetery, fall asleep yearning for a sense of meaning and a craving for connection he'd known and lost? What traumas of loss or illness had led him to this desolate place? The answers to those questions are lost to time for us. When I was researching this passage, I learned that biblical scholars question whether this story actually really happened. And if it was based on a real historical event, I can't quite discern even so what the original author or authors of this story really intended to convey. Some, like Amy Jo Levine, for example, sees that the reference to the legion of demons could be like legions of Roman soldiers being expelled from the Holy Land and for the return of the Messianic Age. But other scholars like John Mayer of the Jesus Scholars believe that while there may be an historical event behind the story, he said there are too many layers of literary activity and theological imagination superimposed on the story to really help us know what it was originally intended to say. But me, I believe that any human story, 
any story that people tell has some truth to it that we can find and interpret, whether it is factual or not. And so taken as a story, I think that right mind for Anton today comes through his encounter through Jesus. After years of terrible self-harm and social isolation, right mind for Anton meant at the end of the story that he became again self-possessed. He found his own self. He returned to a sense of self-worth and out of that return, he just had this huge desire to share that experience with other people, asking Jesus, hey, can I come follow you? But then Jesus said, it's best if you stay where you are, share this good news with your community. Be whole with the community in which you are in and become who you are in this context and in this place. Who knows what fear or anxiety had, rid, had been with him and ridden him, perhaps for decades. So today, with all of this fear and anxiety sweeping through our world and perhaps ourselves, I wanted to lift up some things that I had learned about anxiety over the last week. And it comes from the researcher and author Brene Brown, whom I've uh, mentioned here a few times before. But she's written some wonderful work, and she gave a talk that I accessed through our public library through a recording. And the talk is called Rising Strong as a Spiritual Practice. Rising Strong as a Spiritual Practice. And it's a two-hour talk, and it's just a wealth of wonderful information. But one of the things that she shares is she shares something that we learn, particularly in pastoral work, that anxiety... We feel it certainly as individuals, but it's really a group phenomenon because anxiety is the most contagious feeling that we have and that we feel. And we can see that, you know, we can see it through the empty shelves. When we begin to feel fear, it sort of spreads out into the community. And so when we are afraid, she says, our brains instantly start looking for reasons and stories to sort of help explain what we're afraid of and give us sort of a thing to hold on to. And in her sharing, she pointed out that uh, in that creation, that's sort of where conspiracy theories come from. She has this wonderful quote about how, what, how researchers define conspiracy theory. And it's not just a social thing, but it's the conspiracy theories we make up about our own lives, for example. And she says that a conspiracy is a story where you are missing data points. So you fill them in with belief and fear. So even in our own lives, if, we, if there's something that has really scared us, our brains will go and all the data that we don't have will just make up. And it'll usually be based on the fears that we have. And so we tell this story and our fear fills in all the, all the data points that we don't have. So in the absence of all that information, we fill it in with our imagination. And so that's partly where rumors, for instance, come from. And at this time, with so much fear, there's all kinds of some, sometimes odd, sometimes funny ideas floating around about where this illness came from or, you know, sort of 
evil intent assigned to it. But what's beautiful is that Dr. Brown, when she speaks of this, she talks about how uncertainty, such as we're living in right now, or ambiguity in our lived experience, that uncertainty and that ambiguity, even though it scares us, is what makes us vulnerable. And she points out that vulnerability, it is vulnerability that is the birthplace of connection, of trust, of intimacy, of love, and belonging, and meaning. All of these things are really born out of our ability to be vulnerable, to live in our uncertainty and our fear, and find access to those things. And she points out that the most resilient people that she has researched, because she specifically researches resilience and what makes us resilient as individuals, but as a community, she points out that when we can notice when we're afraid and then choose not to act out of maybe the stories that we're making up that are based on fear, but to rewrite those stories in conscious ways so that we write the story, so that we're controlled by the fear, but we ride our way out of it into a life of fullness and grace and connection, that that is where resilience begins. And I feel like at this time, as we stand sort of on the precipice of reinventing and reimagining our lives uh, for ourselves, for our families, but also our society, that if we can stand in our resilience and in our courage, we can truly step into that, step even over that precipice, trusting that we will find a way and support everyone else in finding a way as well. So if you just take a moment, maybe right now, to reflect on what is most scary to you right now, For some of our elders who have to stay home today, who have been sick and isolated already, the impact of not being able to be with us today is huge and has certainly brought up anxiety and fear. How will they have the connection they need to stay well? How will we know that they're doing okay? Who will take care of them if they're sick? That's just some of the fears that may be emerging in our community, but there may be other fears too. Just take a moment to reflect on what that may be for you right now. And then in acknowledging that feeling and acknowledging perhaps the story of where that fear is coming from for us, what is the next or the first thing, small thing that you can do to begin to push the edges of that fear out so that we can take a small step, a courageous step to address that fear. Maybe it's picking up the phone call and calling someone just to check in. Maybe it's asking for help. A lot of us aren't great at asking for help. Maybe it's saying, hey, I'm really afraid about this. I need a plan. I need some help getting to the grocery store, finding something I need. But even that small in action can fill us with courage and confidence and assurance that we have what it takes 
to step into whatever is to come. I believe that Anton, our character in our scripture today, that through his encounter with Jesus, it allowed him to stand in his fear and choose to write his own story. And he did. The story of how he left that graveyard. A story of showing up fully for everything that followed after. In the weeks and months to come, we will face a world shaped by the coronavirus. A world unlike anything that we, certainly anyone of my generation, have, has ever encountered before. But we will face it together. We will find new ways of doing things so that we can stay connected and so we can support each other through these times. We will write our own courageous stories and we will support each other in doing the same. We remember that Jesus is with us no matter how uncertain and how unmoored we are feeling. No matter how trapped and out of control like Anton, we may feel in a cemetery of death or mourning, we can and will find the life within us and the life around us. And to live our lives, we choose in goodness, in hope, and in joy, and in belonging. In God's name, amen.